Welcome back to Word Balloon, the comic book conversation show. John Suntress here, live on remote from Cincy Comic Con. Uh, I'll be here all weekend. And, uh, man, I've got so many podcasts to crank out that uh, this might be uh, more than uh, – there might be more than one podcast coming to you live from Cincinnati. But, uh, boy, what a busy uh, last couple of weeks. I've done a lot of interviews. We're going to be cranking out a lot of shows in the month of uh, September. I have a feeling it's going to bleed into October. This week, Marvel had two press conferences, one with uh, Mark Wade and Tom Brevoort about uh, the new book Champions that starts in October with uh, Mark uh, rejoining his uh, old partner on uh, Impulse, Umberto Ramos. This is a team of the uh, young, new legacy uh, superheroes. We've got Ms. Marvel, Miles Morales, uh, the totally awesome Hulk, among others, young Cyclops from the original X-Men, who's time-traveled via Bendis. You know the whole shot. Uh, it uh, sounds like a very interesting book, and uh, Mark was very uh, thorough, and Tom, about uh, why these people were chosen and uh, what we might expect from uh, the Champions team in terms of why they are a team and uh, their uh, look at some of the conventions of superhero teams. Does it fit for what they want to do and what they want to say? Really interesting uh, press conference and uh, proud to bring you that on Word Balloon. Then, happy to have Charles Soule back on Word Balloon. In addition to, happy to have Jeff Lemire back on Word Balloon along with uh, Nick Lowe and Axel Alonso talking about the death of X. We all know Cyclops died at some point uh, around Secret Wars. Um, we never got the story because the time jumped eight months into the future after Secret Wars. This story full fills in the details. Death of X not only represents the death of Cyclops, but it's the prelude to the coming uh, X-Men versus Inhumans war that is uh, the next big event once this miniseries wraps up. So uh, this is a chance for uh, you to, if you haven't been paying attention to the Inhumans and X-Men, to uh, get all informed and be ready for the next Marvel event. The uh, press corps had a lot of questions for uh, the creators and uh, the editors, and uh, it was a pleasure to be part of both press conferences, and I'm happy to bring them both to you today on Word Balloon. Word Balloon is brought to you by the League of Word Balloon listeners. Thank you, League, for your support. I'm hoping to meet some of you this weekend at Cincy Comic Con. I know some of you have already said, hey, I'm going to be there. Good. Let me shake your hand and thank you personally for supporting Word Balloon as you do because uh, you, you really do a lot to uh, make the connections possible. A lot of uh, the funds that uh, go into me going to the conventions and buying new equipment and uh, networking with creators is going to pay off in the month of September. I don't want to tip anything until it's actually in the can and I'm ready to give it to you as far as a podcast goes. But uh, really, uh, the subscription support that the League of Word Balloon listeners give me allows me to go to these shows and make this stuff happen. So really, thank you, League of Word Balloon listeners. If you go to wordballoon.com, uh, you'll find out all the information about my Patreon account. If you can uh, afford it and uh, think what I do here is uh, worth your time, um, like I always like to say, you know, you read a comic book, it takes about 10 or 15 minutes to read it. Well, Word Balloon usually comes up with at least 10 hours, usually more per month of interesting conversation for you. And uh, I'm happy to do it. So if you think it's worth your while, like I said, Word Balloon's free. If you can't afford it, you know, I, I get it. I've, I've struggled before in my 20s and my teens when I have no money. But if you think it's worth a buck a month... That would be great. Really do appreciate it. So thank you again. Uh, go to wordballoon.com for the information or patreon.com slash wordballoon. Wordballoon is also brought to you by InStock Trades at InStockTrades.com. Look at the books that are out this week from InStockTrades.com. 
Uh, my buddies uh, Mike Norton and Tim Seeley, uh, their trade paperback uh, volume seven of Revival called Forward is 45% off, just $8.24. You can get Ed Brubaker and Sean Phillips' Criminal, Wrong Time, Wrong Place, uh, also volume seven, also 45% off, $8.24. Uh, good stuff from uh, Roy Thomas and Ron Mars and others, Doctor Strange and the Secret Defenders. When is this from? I don't know, but that was back. Uh, they've got 11 uh, comics here all together. What a neat collection. 42% off, just $17.39. Late night last night. Forgive me, kids. I'm, uh, I'm yawning while I'm talking. Um, Eerie. Man, I love Creepy and Eerie. All the Warren uh, reprints that Dark Horse has been doing. Tremendous stuff. Among the writers and artists, you'll find Bruce Jones, Larry Hama, Pablo Marcus, Paul Galassi, Alfredo Alcala, my guy, one of my favorites, Jose Ortiz, and uh, Frank Barberi does the introduction to, to Volume 22, which collects Erie 104 through 108. Uh, it is 42% off, 42% off, $28.99. Just a few of the great books you can find at InStockTrades.com. Don't take my word for it. Check out the website. You will find great deals on great books waiting for you at InStockTrades.com. All right, without further ado, uh, we will hand things over to Chris Delandro, the PR director for Marvel, who uh, conducts these uh, Marvel telephone press conferences. They're always interesting, and I think it's a great opportunity to hear directly from the character or directly from the creators what they think about the characters they're working on. Let's go back to Wednesday's uh, Death of X uh, press conference with uh, Charles Soule and Jeff Lemire, Nick Lowe, and Axel Alonso, and the uh, the press corps uh, talking to them about uh, the Death of X now on Word Balloon. We'll just get started. So, you know, when we came back from Secret Wars and the Marvel Universe jumped forward eight months, one of the uh, one of the biggest questions, you know, a, a lot of our fans had is sort of what what the hell happened uh, with, with the X-Men and the Inhumans. Um, and, you know, you guys have been teasing it out for months and months and months, and we're finally getting ready to, to peel back the curtain on that this October uh, in Death of X, a, uh, a four-issue limited series written by Charles and Jeff uh, and drawn by uh, Aaron Cooter, who we're very excited to have at Marvel. Um, and, uh, and we're going to talk a little bit about that today and, and sort of how the series will dovetail into uh, Inhumans vs. X-Men, which launches this December. Um, so as I mentioned before, with me today is uh, our editor-in-chief, Axel Alonso, executive editor Nick Lowe, along with uh, Charles Soule and Jeff Lemire. Uh, so we'll just get right into it. Um, so yeah, I, my first question for you guys is, uh, as I teased out before, reading both of your titles uh, coming out of Secret Wars, you really got the feeling that uh, a lot more had gone on in that eight-month gap than either the X-Men or the Inhumans were really willing to talk about openly. Um, so, you know, both sides are really in a Cold War right now that's sort of about to erupt in when we get to Inhumans vs. X-Men. But uh, what can you guys sort of tell us about the tensions between the groups? What sparks that sort of conflict in the pages of Death of X? Um, well, I, I think that your, your use of the Cold War analogy is, is, is dead on because what we wanted it to feel like was, you know, like as in the Cold War, like that, that annihilation was sort of around the corner. There's always this cloud... Um, lying over everything, and in this case, it is a, it is a literal cloud, if you'll uh, forgive me. Um, there is a uh, sort of, there's this, there's this substance in the air and the atmosphere um, that is central to the inhuman way of life called pterogen, uh, and unfortunately, it looks like that same substance is, is deadly to mutants. 
So, so we wanted it to feel like an intractable conflict and just like, you know, at any minute this could erupt into, into doom um, and, and wanted to suggest that we've gotten there through something really, really intense that had happened before we opened both of our stories. And uh, so I don't speak too much. I can let Jeff jump in there if you want to. Yeah, sure. I mean, uh, I think at this point it's pretty common knowledge having read the people having read the books for almost a year now that, you know, something really, really important happened involving Cyclops, uh, and he's dead. Um, so I, clearly that's one of the central things we're exploring in Death of X, uh, exactly how that happened, what happened, what it means for both in Human the Next Men. Um, but we don't want to spoil that, obviously, here. But, <clears throat> I mean, I think... This Cold War sort of aspect has been, uh, there's various factions within both Inhumans and the X-Men. So there's not like one sort of blanket sort of uh, way that all the X-Men react this way to it. All the Inhumans have reacted this this way to the war. You know, there's different factions within the mutants, for instance, who are all kind of, uh, you know, thinking differently towards the Inhumans and towards this, this conflict. So, you know, you have Storm's team that I'm writing. It's, they're sort of trying to coexist, trying to <clears throat> trying to save as many mutants as they can, but also try to find a way to to move forward in Inhumans. Then you have Magneto's team, which is a lot more proactive and a lot more aggressive. And then um, Dennis Hopeless is writing the young X-Men who are, who are still trying to find a way just to be heroes and, and, and a way to just to live their lives and sort of be young in this the landscape of the Marvel Universe. So when we see the, the conflict finally erupt, it won't be one, you know, <clears throat> one, one face for the whole group. We'll see these various factions represented and they'll have sort of different motivations and different sort of angles. I think it's also worth saying that, that both sides in this fight see themselves as, as heroic. I mean, nobody really wants to be fighting this fight. It's, it's something they've been pushed into by circumstance, which is, which is very difficult for everyone. I mean, you know, the Inhumans and the X-Men are, they would rather be saving the world rather than fighting another group of people who are trying to save the world. But, um, you know, the situation is very tense. It's very, like I said, it's intractable. There's really, neither one of them sees an easy way out, and they're on a collision course. Uh, and, and in Death of X, we sort of, we see how they, how they first realized that, how bad the problem really was, how, how much of a collision course they really were on, and, and what it would be like if they really finally sort of smashed into each other. Hey, this is Axel, just chiming in real quick, uh, just to sort of talk the macro here. Um, you know, Death of X is a story that stands on its own two feet. It's a full story. Um, it's its own read. Uh, it fills in the gaps between what the end of Secret War and where we picked up with Extraordinary X-Men and all the X-Books post-Secret War. So all the questions that readers have had about where is Cyclops, where is Emma Frost, and so on, all those questions are going to be answered, and the answers are going to be pretty darn shocking. Um, you know, this will, you'll see the first sort of recognition that perhaps Inhumans and mutants can't all get along, can't, can't live on the same planet in this series. Um, but it really functions as a prelude to the war, which comes in IVX. Um, I, it, it, simply, I'd call this, this is a battle, but it's not the war. But you will understand by the end of this series why it is inevitable that mutants and uh, inhumans will go to war. You know, I, I, uh, I, I wanted to talk a little bit about Cyclops, but I think we can circle back to that, because, Jeff, you mentioned something earlier um, about sort of factioning 
uh, of the of the X Men that they don't all necessarily agree with one, one unified point of view. And, and when we saw your book uh, when it launched, you know, Storm's team sort of you saw them sort of rejecting Scott's actions, which you know Death of X will will cover to an extent. Um, uh, the actions he took against the Inhumans. Um, it, with Death of X sort of flashing back and filling in those gaps, are we going to sort of see that play out on the page? Yeah, that's exactly right. You'll see, uh, you know, we're going back eight months before my first issue, so we'll see these teams of the, the X Men teams that we see now in the Marvel Universe weren't in existence yet. You know, it was it was a different landscape. Um, so we'll see what kind of caused the teams that we have now to sort of form and fracture off, and, and the, that all again all stems back from the, the actions of Cyclops and a few other mutants, which. Uh, which, as Axel alluded to, I think are a lot more shocking and surprising than most readers can can guess at at this point. <clears throat> yeah, you know, Charles, on your end of things, um, when, when we picked your book up, we saw, you know, Beast had joined the Inhumans, which was kind of a shocking twist. Um, you know, Crystal's, Crystal's taking her team out on sort of a, a goodwill mission to uh, sort of bolster support for the Inhumans. Um how does Death of X fill in those blanks on your side? Well, again, we, we really wanted it to to feel like something really significant had happened prior to the start of, of the Inhuman series that uh, that wasn't going to be it, it, none of the, none of those things necessarily would have happened if, if something very intense hadn't hadn't occurred in the Inhuman world. Um, and so, you know, it's all part of building up the anticipation for Death of X and, and really making the question seem or making the question mark seem as, as large as possible, so that people really want to know. You know how we got there. Um, you know it, it's clear that that Beast, uh, you know, left the mutants and is working with the Inhumans. Not everybody on the mutant side is happy about that, and everybody on the Inhuman side is thrilled about that um, it, because it's it's sort of uh, you know like having having a you know spy in your midst almost. Some people would accuse him of being he you know he's he's best to solve this problem with the cloud and and all of that stuff. But it's it's tough. Uh, and as far as um, Crystal, uh, who is who is the sister of the Queen. Um, she has been sent out into the world to to try and, you know, make sure that if a war does erupt again, you know, there's a lot of sort of goodwill that the humans have been generating around. And, you know, they're 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 trying to get as many people on their side as possible. So it's it's all part of building up to the feeling of inevitability, right? These sides are going to come together again uh, in, in a in a huge battle, which we're going to see in in IBX. But we wanted to make it feel earned. We wanted to make everybody understand how we got there, and that is the point of the uh, the death of X story, which is which is great stuff. So I also wanted to, to make sure we, we highlighted Aaron Cooter, um, who's going to be drawing the series. And, and uh, you know, for the press on the call, I sent around some of the first interior pages, um, as well as all four of his covers, which just look tremendous. Um, we're really excited to have him, you know, at Marvel. Um, how, uh, what do you guys think he brings to the project? And Axel, for you, what sort of excites you about having him here? Actually, if, if you don't mind, oh, yeah, uh, I, this is uh, Nick Lowe talking. Uh, getting Aaron over here has been a, uh, a labor of love over the last several years. There have been secret breakfasts at, uh, <laughs> you know, not secret, but, you know, breakfast in San Diego for years as I've been a fan of Aaron's for a long time and so have a lot of us up here at Marvel. And we were so glad to see him take on this book and to bring his A-plus game to it. He is turning in the best work of his career, and, uh, and it's going to make people jump out of their chairs and be like, who's this guy again? Um, it, the first issue is stunning. He's, 
he's almost done with the second issue right now, um, and he is a superstar uh, about to burst on the scene. You don't you don't want to miss looking at his work. Charles, do you have anything on your end? Yeah, I, I completely agree. I mean, the, one of the things about this this book, Death of X, is that there's a lot of Inhumans and there's a lot of X Men, a lot of characters in it. And one of the things that can get, I, I think, you know, in my experience as a superhero comic reader, you you know, some of that can, you can lose the emotional content sometimes because you're focusing on just making sure that, you know, a character looks the way they're supposed to look and they're doing what the story asks them to do and so on. But the, the amazing thing about Aaron's work on this series is that he's not only achieving that, so everybody looks the way they're supposed to look, all, you know, all the millions of characters are correct, but also there's, there's a strong emotional content to everyone on the scenes. You know what they're feeling and why they're acting the way they are. And even more than that, he's sort of, he's innovating in the way that these things are presented. So it doesn't, it looks like a fresh take on, on one of these big superhero battles. It's, it's very, very impressive. And, and I am so glad Aaron is drawing it. It's fantastic. Yeah, I think Aaron's one of those artists who, he's not so much an artist as he is a cartoonist. And, and by that, I mean, he's a really, really, really strong, gifted storyteller. Um, it's almost like he could, you, you know, it's almost having a, like having a third writer on the book because he brings so much to the way he interprets the script and how to best communicate our ideas and, and, and sort of, um, it's really, he's really strong in that aspect as well. So, you know, you add that to what Charles said about the way he just sort of adds so much emotion to the characters and, uh, how much detail and intricacy he puts into the line work and everything. He really is a star. He's, uh, He's he's great. I've been a fan of his for a while too. When he first came to DC, when I was back there as well, he was someone. He immediately had a point of view, and a, his work was immediately different and striking. And he seems to have elevated it yet again here. Uh, and and you know, before we open it up to, to press, um, I, I just wanted to you know address sort of the elephant in the room about the book, which is you know we're going to really get to see. Cyclops and Emma Frost for the first time in about in about a year. I mean, yeah. since since before um, before Secret Wars uh, ended, um, and you know, as as this book sort of sets the stage for Death uh, for Inhumans versus X Men in December. Excuse me. Um, is there anything you guys can talk about 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 getting to write them and and having them back on the scene and and sort of seeing how they respond to this uh, Terrigen threat? Well, I mean, I've been writing the X-Men for about a year now, and it still felt, it did kind of feel like something was missing because Cyclops, Scott, and Emma are so, so important to the mutant sort of corner of the Marvel Universe. Not getting a chance to write either of them until now, it did feel like something was missing, so this kind of feels like, uh, I don't know, it feels like kind of coming full circle and finally getting to that, that missing piece for me as well creatively, so I think it would probably feel that way for the reader as well. Um, Emma is one of my favorite characters in all of the, the X-Men canon, uh, so I'm just getting to write her at all is, is awesome. So uh, I, I'm having a blast with her. And Cyclops, too, he has, a, he has such a point of view and such a, um, you know, he so many changes over his life as a character that it's just, he's very rich to write a lot of emotion in every line he delivers. Very cool. And I just want to talk a little bit about the, before you open, like, just, like you said, to the press, I... Uh, I'm so excited for this book to finally get out there with people. It's been something we've been planning for so long. I mean, pretty much the day Jeff signed on to do the X-Men, you know, we've been meeting and talking about this and about IVX um, for so long. And it's been such a joy to work with uh, Charles and Jeff and to see uh, their talents 
pool up and, and what they bring out of each other and bring this huge story to bear with both giant important moments but with incredibly personal emotional moments as well. Uh, and I, and you know, that company by Aaron's art, I, I just cannot wait for this to be in everybody's hands. So yeah, with uh, with that, I'm going to open it up to to uh, our press. So we'll 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 start and we'll go around, and we should have time for you know at least two questions a piece, maybe more, uh, depending on time. Um, uh, CBR, Brett. Yeah, um, Jeff and Charles are both co-writing this book, and you know, to my knowledge, you guys haven't really co-written with a lot of other writers during your time at Marvel. So I was wondering if you could talk about the process of working together on this. It's pretty seamless. It's, it, uh, I mean, it, I think it would it, it would always be different depending who you're working with. But Charles and I seem to uh, Charles may disagree, but it seems like a very very easy collaboration. We kind of, I mean, especially the the important thing is that sort of going into it, you know, the easy way to divide the work was that I I do stuff that's more X focused. Charles does stuff that's more in humans focused, and that's kind of how we started. But then it, now it's sort of as we've gotten more comfortable working with each other after the first issue or two, we just kind of, it just whoever kind of is more excited for one scene or seems to have the most energy for it, we just kind of split it up that way. And it, it's pretty effortless. And, you know, we, we seem to be no, no big fights yet. Right. There's lots of, uh, lots of getting on the phone uh, and lots of emailing. And lots of, there's a lot of, um, letting the ideas simmer and, and, and gestate before we, we put them down on the page, um, so, which I think has just been very, very good. I mean, I have, I have immense respect for Jeff. Uh, I have no idea how he feels about me, but I think he's, you know, a, a, a real talent. And so I think that, you know, when we started the project with, with that sort of feeling towards each other, it makes it a lot easier to, to let the good ideas start to come out. You know, nobody, nobody really has anything. We don't have anything to prove to each other. It's just about getting the best story we can. Uh, George, Newsarama. Hey, this is Chris. Um, I wanted to ask, uh, it seems like the two members, the two primary members on the X-Men side seem to be Cyclops and Emma. Uh, who would you say are kind of the equivalent on the inhuman side, if you had to pick two, and like kind of what is their specific uh, motivations here? Uh, I would say it's, it's Medusa, for sure. Um, and then, and then, I think Crystal, Crystal probably. I think Crystal plays a pretty big role yep. in it. Yeah. Yeah, maybe some Crystal. Yep. And for them, as far as their motivation goes, I mean, the Terrigen is a huge part of Inhuman society and a hugely important uh, part of what makes them who they are and what gives them their power and all that kind of stuff. So, they anytime the Terrigen is involved in a big situation, you know that humans are going to. Uh, jump to its defense if they possibly can. If I could add one thing to that question, too. Aside from the main players that we've discussed, I think another fun thing about the series, Death of X series, is that we get to see uh, we get some pretty big roles for uh, a couple of mutants who we haven't seen a lot of in the last few years, sort of characters who have kind of been off to the side, more obscure mutants. And, and likewise, we get a couple of new and humans introduced that get pretty pretty juicy roles as well. So it's not just the big guns. You kind of you've kind of found room to to populate it and give give some space to some more obscure characters and new characters as well, which I think creates a pretty good balance. Uh James, com, com. 
Hey, guys. Um, so, look, you know, back when Uncanny X-Men 600 ended, you know, we saw Cyclops gain a bit of peace of mind after his time as a, a revolutionary. Um, does this march to war against the Inhumans build on or push back against sort of that uh, idea and, and, you know, character moment for Cyclops? Well, I think the big the big thing to remember there is that something really huge happens between the end of Brian Bendis' run in 600 and, and our story, and that's that the Terrigen, the, the the discovery that the Terrigen is poisonous to mutants, and that, that immediately changes everything for for Scott, well, for everyone, but especially for Scott in this series, because you're right, he had kind of, he was starting to come to a point where he was trying to find some peace of mind, and but then this, as we'll see in the series, I don't want to spoil anything, but this is so it's so sort of seismic that it it's, it kind of pushes back against that and, and changes everything. Yeah, what happens in Death of X One makes it necessary for Cyclops to do what he does next. You'll totally understand why he changes his mind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that was a big part of that too. So, uh, Joshua, IGN. Hey guys, um, I'm curious to hear. How did you come up with the story title, Death of X, and why did you name it that? I don't know. We can, that's sort of something that was, wasn't just Charles and I. That was more, you know, editorial as well was involved. So maybe Nick or Axel could speak to that one. Uh, Death of X it became, once, once the beats of the story started revealing themselves, yeah, and, and once they, they started building it out, we, you know, we always try to find out, what's the best way to, to market it, what's the best way to name it. And Death of X just seemed to fit. You'll understand as you read the story. I don't want to give too much away. Um, but this is a very, very important moment for the X-Men. Um, it, it's really tough to understate that here. Uh, and, you know, we live in an age where it's really hard to keep story beats secret and to keep, you know, to keep a, a lockdown on things. And there's a lot of series that is like that. Um, so I don't want to talk too much about it, but it was just the, the, it was a cool title that fit, and so we made it a, a you know a huge marketing platform for a lot of our stuff, all the variant covers and all that kind of stuff. Uh, John, word balloon. I mean, oh, sorry, go ahead. Nah, I was just gonna say. I mean, you you heard Death of X, don't you want to read it? I mean, it might just be as simple as that, too, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, John. Hey guys, um, I'm interested, without spoiling, uh, to hear both of you comment on what might be on uh, the Beast Tank McCoy's mind, and of course the Human Torch Johnny Bla- or Johnny Storm's mind. Yeah, actually, they play a pretty. I would. I don't know. I don't want to spoil too much, but I would say that the two characters you you pointed out play really, really big roles in IVX, um, maybe more so than Death of X. Okay, but um, yeah, I don't know how much you want to spoil about that. I mean, I, I think Beast is, you know, is he's somebody who is he's always trying to find a way to think his way through problems, and so his his you know he'll fight when he has to, but he would much rather use his brain to solve to solve a problem, and this is this feels like a problem to him that he should be able to solve with his mind, um, and so you know we'll see how that works out. Uh, you know, obviously he hasn't solved this kind of story start um in, in you know after so it, it doesn't get solved in Death of X because he's there in New Adelon trying to trying to work things through. Um as far as the human torch, you know, he is he is Medusa's uh uh 
boyfriend seems like kind of a, a small word or whatever you want to say, uh, got to palin around with. Um, and so he, he brings a lot of loyalty to Medusa for sure, but he's also not as inhuman. Uh, and so his perspective on this is from somebody who can see the conflict from, from kind of a step back or step away, uh, which I think is a very valuable perspective to have in one of these big, huge stories. So. And I would say like, the, the addition of Beast and then Human Torch to Uncanny and Humans at the end of Secret Wars was one of the, the biggest kind of uh, shockers out of the gate with that book. And so this kind of paves the way for both. You know, one, it, it sets up a problem for Beast to study and, on his side of things. And on the Torch's side, as you remember, when he stepped in, he was also there to kind of help the Inhumans with PR. And this kind of tells you, like, what... Why did they need PR help? This kind of lays all that out because this is this death of X stuff kind of brings the Inhumans into a very different position uh, on the other side of it than they were at the beginning. Uh, Brett, CBR. Yeah, um, Deb, you said you've talked much about how death of X is leading into Inhumans versus X-Men. So this is, you know, a huge, huge, massive story. So I'm wondering, has in working on Death of X, has anything changed in what you might do with Inhumans versus X-Men since it's still a bit further down the road? Oh yeah. Uh. I mean, I, I would say, and I'll just, and I'll, and I'll, then I'll shut up and let you guys talk. But I mean, I would say, I, I remember there was one pretty major difference from our initial plan for Death of X that, as we were mapping out Death of X and starting to map out IVX. There was a huge change um, that, that kind of that, that we probably we may not have landed on had it weren't be for those initial planning meetings for IVX. Um, but that's one of the cool things about working at these on these two events in tandem uh, was that you know the one could inform the other as we worked on them. Yeah, we had a dedicated uh, IVX retreat uh, with pretty much everyone from the phone right now attending. Where we locked ourselves up for a couple of days in a room and just walked ourselves through that story. And we kept referring back to Death of X. Um, and I'll about to make there. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, they both kind of evolved together. I mean, I think Nick, Nick said earlier that when I first came, came aboard Marvel and with the X-Men, which was probably a year and a half ago now or something, this story was in the works right from then. So it's been, it's been percolating and building and kind of evolving for, for a long time. Uh, so it's gone through a lot of changes, and, you know, the more concrete Death of X became, the more it helped us figure out IVX, obviously. The more detail we got into on Death of X, the more it could sort of launch new ideas for IVX. So, yeah, they, they kind of worked in tandem that way, and it, it's a good way to work. Chris, New Drama. Uh, going big picture, um Many fans look at the X-Men titles from like the 70s, 80s, and 90s being like one of, if not the like big, the biggest titles that uh, Marvel is doing. Uh, since kind of the the reemergence of kind of the Avengers line uh, to kind of become that centerpiece from Marvel, is there any kind of uh, uh, kind of inside kind of team effort to like put like the X-Men like back uh, front and center in, 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 in Marvel by getting more um, um, interest and like raising sales with something like this and getting more titles again? I mean, we're always trying to tell the best stories we possibly can and put the best, best creators, hence 
people you're talking to on the phone who are two of the yeah. biggest writers in comics right now, you know, working on this, these events. Yeah, I, I, we keep getting asked these questions, and there's a point at which it gets a little bit irritating because it's a little bit insulting to the people that are working on the books. I mean, we've had some of our best talent working on the X-Men books over the last few years. We continue to events. One of our biggest events of the last few years is Avengers versus X-Men. We have interest in all of our franchises here in publishing. We want to put them all forward and make them all popular. You know, um, you know. Again, it, it's it, we we didn't lock ourselves in a room for three days because we're we're disinterested in the X Men. That said, I don't think we could speak more specifics because we don't want to give away anything. If we say anything more, in answering some of your question, I give away where we land uh, after IVX, and I don't want to do that right now. So. Uh, James, comicbook.com. Uh, cool. So you know, I know you guys talked a bit about you know wanting to or how you, know, how you wanted to tell the story as far as, you know, the event not happening right immediately after um, Secret Wars. And, uh, but was there, was that ever sort of part of the discussion as far as let's do a big, let's do this immediately after Secret Wars? Or was it integral to the story uh, storytelling? And is that, is that something that we may see in a similar fashion with IVX? Um, you know, as the buildup goes there with the fallout of Death of X? Well, I think one of the big things that doing the eight-month gap and, and sort of jumping ahead and not seeing the Death of X stuff right away gave us was a real sense of mystery when we launched the titles, which I thought was really intriguing, you know, and, and it made the books more compelling. And I don't think we wouldn't have had that if we had just done the Death of X story right out of Secret Wars. So, um yeah, I think breaking things up and playing with time like that can be it can be a good thing, and, and it kind of create fresher stories. And just doing stuff in more yeah, I mean, fashion. We've uh, you know every, everyone on this call has been reading comics for, books for a long time, and you know we're all fans, right? And part of the fun of being a fan of comics is, is you know talking amongst yourselves about what the hell happened in some situation or another, right? So by by doing it this way, by by setting it up like this huge thing that happened, we've given the fans you know quite a long time to, to talk amongst themselves and try and figure out what happened with their theories out there. And, you know, it just, I just think it makes more fun. So now we'll pull the curtain back and we'll see who's. Yeah. It, it was, it was always the plan uh, to, yeah. to take our time and tell this story. I mean, that, that when, when at the end of Secret Wars, when we did the eight month later jump, we had a whole bunch of stuff we wanted to do to take advantage of that eight months and do something different and try to give our fans uh, something different and new to enjoy, a different way to read the books. And these story elements were a big part of it. The Sky Spears and Uncanny Inhumans and All-New Inhumans are another one that, that it's like, if you think you've waited a long time for this one, like the story that Charles has planned for that and like where they're going to pay off, like that's even more. So, you know, like there's there's big plans for all this kind of stuff. And so it, it, it was always planned for this to come later and to lead directly into IVX. Like IVX, we planned from the same time we started playing Death of X. It's all, like, you know, it's a one-two punch. Uh, Joshua, IGN. Hey, uh, because this is happening uh, right after Secret Wars, will we hear any or see any uh, fallout from that event? Because in that event, Cyclops died, so really this is Death of X, too. Is he going to, like, you know, be like, not again? 
Yeah, that's exactly what happens. He just screams that, that, not again. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's really Aaron threw a really long gatefold that we're just printing. Um, but, uh, I mean, it, it, I think it would take more than this one phone call to kind of dig into exactly Jonathan Hickman's machinations for how the time worked for the things right before, during, and after Secret Wars. Um, maybe we'll, we'll, we'll hook you guys up to talk about that and, and go through a timeline. But this was, uh, you know, this was always, this was in the cards since we knew Secret Wars was coming. We knew that after Secret Wars we were going to do a big shake-up, and that's why we brought Jeff into the X-Men. That's why we prepared him and Charles, who was, you know, who's, you know our lead Inhumans guy together to tell this story, to make it as, as organic as possible. Um, but, I, but, yeah, but I, you, you won't see what happens in this story coming. As much as there are certain things you know that have to happen into it, there's about twice as many surprises. In the and you might, you might be surprised by what doesn't happen as well. John, we're balloon. Well, that sort of answers my question, but I want to ask it in a different way and ask, um, knowing that the death of Cyclops was the you know inevitable end here, um, was it freeing to write Cyclops after the choices he's already made or the burden of his choices led to a singular path? Um, it is a good question. I, I'm not sure. I felt a lot of, personally, I felt a lot of responsibility just because Scott's such a beloved character and such an important character in the history of Marvel that to be, to be the one of the two writers to sort of craft a story about his death, that, that's a lot of responsibility. It's not something we took lightly, for sure. Um, and I think a little bit of both of what you said, I think there is a sense of, uh, you know, there's a sense of freedom to finally tell the story that we've been teasing for a long time, but there's also that sense of, I don't know if it's burden, but responsibility to do it right. You know? Yeah, uh, I, I'm sort of having a Death of Wolverine flashbacks to an extent as, <laughs> as we're working on these stories because, the, you know, it's, it's a story that's going to be very impactful to the X universe in a lot of ways. Uh, and, and, you know, you definitely want to make sure that you're, you're doing justice to every character involved, you know, to Emma, uh, Storm, all the X people and all the humans. There's, there's a lot of legacy there. You want to pay, uh, make sure you're, you're treating properly. Yeah. I'll also say too, is that this story really examines the imprint that a hero has in other people's lives, the effect that it has on other people's lives and decisions they make and the morality. Yeah. I think Cyclops has always been someone who's, He's inspired mankind in so many different ways, um, and that that is something we'll see echoed in this series big time. And he's been such a galvanizing figure in so many ways since he like since he was created, basically, but especially since you know the Claremont Byrne years of you know some people always loved Cyclops, some people hated him, and and it's so interesting. Yeah, that's one of the things that makes him such an interesting character, and this story uh, is no exception to how interesting Cyclops can be. Brett, CBR. Yeah, um, we talk a lot about Cyclops, and Emma Frost is kind of the other half of you know the major X character that has been missing for a while. And you guys have already spoken a little bit about how much you like the character, but I'm wondering if we can get any insight into like where her mind is at as maybe the beginning of Death of X, since I know you guys can't tell us where it's at at the end of it. No, we can't talk about Emma at all. <laughs> I don't think. <laughs> I, I can't see how we can. Well, I mean, it's she 
like you, like you said, she's pretty much all of our one of our favorite characters. I, I think her becoming a member of the X Men. What is it now? Like ten years ago, twelve years ago, something like that. Uh, was such a huge, huge moment in in all X fans. And so getting her back on the stage here as we go into Death of X Men was was just it's just great to see her again. Uh, but once you see what happens in Death of X number one. Uh, you'll kind of get a get a better idea of like, well, how she and how Cyclops react to how deep the situation, how dangerous the situation for mutants on Earth is right now. I was just right. going to say that I think she's, especially in this story, she's um, she's tragic, which which I hope doesn't give anything away. But she's like, you know, there's a lot of she. she I don't think there's any any accident that she turns herself into a diamond as her, as her sort of secondary education. She, she makes herself very, very hard. Um, and she doesn't have to sort of to feel or show other people that she's feeling anything. But in, in this story, we, we really get past that and, and we see a lot of her, a lot of what makes her tick and, and what matters to her and, and, you know, why she makes the choices she makes, not just in this story, but in, in a lot of other stories that we've seen her do things. So it's, uh, it's very intense. I think Emma has, has one of the best stories in, in the whole uh, in the whole arc. I mean, lots of characters do, but she's, she's a real standout for me anyway. Yeah, I think just following that, I think um, Emma may not have been a part of the X-Men books in the last year, but when we're done with this story, she's going to be a huge part of things moving forward, and I think that was one of our goals, is to really, really make her super important to everything going forward. She becomes a, a really key character. Chris, you I want to ask about the other Cyclops that's floating around the Marvel Universe. Uh, he's in the X-Men books. He's in the upcoming uh, Champions book. Um, that's from, like from all that we can see, he makes it out the other end of this. Um, but does, does he have a major role to play in the Death of X series? That's not really the other Cyclops and Champions. It's Mystique. Am I supposed to spoil that here? <laughs> Spoiler. Yeah. Uh, he's got, I mean, he's got a bigger role in IVX than he has in yeah. in Death of X. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the young the young X Men that uh, Dennis yeah. Hopeless is writing, young Cyclops, uh, and, and Gene, who's in my team, and young Beast Angel. Um, they are they are in Death of X, but they play a much bigger role in in IVX. Uh, James, comicbook.com. <laughs> Charles and Jeff, how are you guys expecting in the your sort of your respective parts to convert uh, fans of the opposite team to be more empathetic with yours? So, Charles, you know, are are you uh, hoping that you're able to make X Men fans feel you know be more sympathetic to Inhumans, and then Jeff, obviously, vice versa? And like, what are some of the the things in the book that you're that you think may may do that without spoiling anything, of course. You know, I, I don't I don't think about that that much. Uh, my my job mm-hmm. and, and what I like doing is making sure that the story that's being told is the absolute best story possible because that's what gets you fans. It gets people on on your side if you want. I mean, I think the rivalry, if you want to say that there is one, is is interesting because it gets people something to talk about. But ultimately, everybody just wants great stories and great comics, and that's what I'm planning to deliver. I don't, you know. I think Jeff's going to do the same thing. So that's that's how I that's how I've always approached it. Um, you know, I don't 
I think that's the only way we can approach it, really. Yeah, I, I don't think it's I, I, the same with Charles. I, I don't often think of this is going to sound terrible. I don't really think about the fans or what they what trying to give them something or whatever. It's more just trying to write the best story you can, and and, and for us, that means trying to write both the Inhumans and the X Men as you know really well rounded, multifaceted characters. And I think if we do that well, then it ends up achieving the other goal anyway. So. But I think I think Jeff and Charles do agree that mm-hmm. the goal is always to make it just a little bit worse than Avengers. That's the guiding principle. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, that's exactly. we got those marching orders. Yeah. <laughs> Joshua, IGN. Um, because I uh, guess of the secret nature of what happens in this story, you guys have not been able to really say much of anything uh, about what's actually going to happen. Obviously, um, but can you talk about what? Like what kind of what kind of story is this? Like what what genre would you liken it to? Is it like this big action adventure thing? Is it more like intimate and dramatic? You know, what kind of tone? What kind of story are we getting here? Well, the biggest reference point that I gave we gave Aaron Cooter for issue one in the script was Alien, the Ridley Scott film. So I guess uh, issue one to me felt like I was writing a horror book or a suspense book for sure. And then from there it gets a bit think, bigger, but yeah. that, that's how it started. Yeah. I, I would say that's, that's exactly the word I was going to use. I was, I was going to say a horror story um, and, and, or a very, very tense psychological thriller or something like that. And, and it certainly yeah. has, has the big scope that you, that you want from a big, you know, superhero event. Um, it gets very big, lots of things blow up, lots of superpowers you use for sure. But it's the, it's really rooted in a, very specific set of emotions that are being felt. And again, I don't necessarily want to spoil what those emotions are, but I mean, that's, that's the tone. I would say it's just very intense. It's like you've got a, a you know, a ratchet that's grinding tighter and tighter with every, with every minute, every issue. So um, by the end, it gets, it just, it's crazy. I like it. Um, and just to follow up real quick, it's because it's so like, it's like a, an intense, like horror story. Is there, is it more focused on small groups of characters or is it, Pretty much everybody. Well, I mean, both both teams, both sort of sides of the, the equation are so huge that you can't just you can't possibly tell a good story if you try to include everybody. So I, I think there's sort of a core group on each side that we've in Death of X anyway that we've sort of drilled in on and, and, and focused in on. And, you know, obviously Scott and Emma we've already mentioned, but um, uh, a couple other characters. Magic is, plays a pretty big part. Um, a couple unexpected characters like Gold Balls and a few others play pretty big roles, and you know, and then and it's the same for Charles. So we we kind of focused in on you know a core group on each side for this story anyway. But we will see. You, you do see a lot of other characters. They just don't play huge roles. This story yeah, builds. Yeah, I think. Goes, I, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. That, we're good. I think Jeff kind of yeah, this story, this story builds as it goes along, and then it, like at the crescendo of this. It, it's a battle, like Axel said before. This is a battle, and then when you get to IVX, that's the war. Yeah. You know, like that is uh, that's where things get huge. Like this is this is manageable. That one is where like all bets are off, and and uh, and it really gets crazy. Charles, do you have something to add? Um, no, I I I think Jeff and, and Nick pretty much took care of it. Uh, John, we're balloon. 
Uh, Axel and Nick. Um, and again, I understand that this story explains Cyclops' death, sets up the Inhumans versus X-Men story to come. But we just had Hawkeye kill Bruce Banner and uh, James Rhodes just died. Uh, Axel first, I, I wonder, as because I think there are some outsiders that will go, hey, look, here's another death. Um, is, there a, is there a concern from an editorial standpoint that uh, death in these stories might be overused? Or, you know, I mean, do you again, do you examine event to event, a macro question, uh, the, necess- the necessity to have a, of a, a death in these events? I think that uh, we, it's something we explore in every story, and there have been times when we haven't decided to opt for a death or, or anything close to that. Um, I would also take a look at, if you take a look at the Marvel Universe now, we've imported a lot of cool characters onto the table right now. They seem to be gelling with the audience, both new and old. So I don't see the Marvel Universe as shrinking. I don't think we're killing off characters and we're getting smaller. I think we're getting bigger, and I think we're getting more interesting. And as you know, you know, dead, dead is dead in comics, you know. Um, uh, you know, we all know what can happen down the road. Um, you know, the, the, the art, this is a common trope of comic books. Everybody that reads comic books knows this is one of the things that makes our, our art from unique, is it? You can, you can do this. Um, and what, what matters is that you sell the story. Now, that said, we have no plans to bring Cyclops back if, in fact, we're prepared to kill him in the first place. So. Well, you've got a young, you've got a young Cyclops, so, I mean, that's, you know, that's, that's already conveniently taken care of. I mean, you know, you, you have a clean Scott now that, that isn't, yeah. you know, damaged by the, the choices old Scott made. Yeah, and, and, and of course, be haunted by the choices of of his predecessors. So, yeah. And if I could jump in real quickly, was one of the things that I think it, it can often appear from the outside – um, but, and I've been here for a long time at Marvel, and one of the best things about, that I've seen about how we craft these events and craft these stories, there isn't a checklist that we have, like, okay, here's the event checklist, boom, on the wall, here are things that happen. Every time someone, uh, the story comes up, anytime someone suggests a character dies, it goes through a whole rigmarole of reasons. Like, cause we'd rather not, to be completely honest with you, I mean, you can go back to uh, Second Coming when Nightcrawler died. Like, you know, like we went through this whole rigmarole. Like, was it necessary to the story? If it's not necessary to the story, it doesn't happen. That is the same thing that any character death in any of these stories that we're talking about now happen. Like, we really don't do it willy-nilly or easily. And there are many times where probably the frustration of writers like Jeff or Charles where it's like they'll want to do something like, no, no thanks, we can't do it. No, we don't want to do it. It's not necessary. Um, but I think you'll see some compelling arguments, arguments made over the course of, of this story, Death of X and IVX. Um, and uh, I just hope people take the, understand that that's, we don't just do deaths for the sake of deaths. It has to be for the good of the story. There was a, you know, to that end, there was a pretty major death that was sort of talked about a bit. And IVX, uh, just like Nick said, it became obvious as we got into the story that it, it just wasn't necessary, and it wouldn't have wouldn't have added anything, and it would have just been a death for the sake of a shock. And it, it, so it's not happening. So there's a lot of times that you know you guys don't see that these things do get discussed, and it's not just it's not just done, you know, for the sake of doing it. You know, sure. Uh, Brett, CBR. Yeah, I'm, I'm wondering, uh, 
Death of X so far is a limited series, um, but I'm wondering, are there going to be other tie-ins? Are we going to get to see, is there going to be like a Death of X banner on Extraordinary or Uncanny and Humans or anything like that? No. Or is it just really self-contained to this one story? Yeah, this Death of X is self-contained to the four issues. I can confirm that there will be tie-ins for IVX, and we'll be, you know, announcing some more information about for IVX those, yeah. uh, in the coming weeks. Yeah, but not like like Jeff said, Death of X is self-contained, four-issue, uh, closed story. Yeah, you don't even necessarily have to have read any I or or X in Human or X Men stuff to to get it. Like we we've taken great pains to re, you know to make sure that people who maybe aren't aren't reading humans books or aren't reading X books will, will be able to jump right in and get it immediately. And, and honestly, the same is true of IDX. So, it's, you know, that's something that I think you really have to do with these, these bigger stories is make them friendly to new readers as much as you do to the It's dry. I still haven't read any in humans books, so. <laughs> yep, yep. They're super good, Jeff. You'd really like them. <laughs> All right. Uh, I think we got time for maybe one more. Um, Chris, Newsarama, you want to finish this out? Sure. Uh, let's talk a little bit more about Aaron Cooter, uh, the recent signee to the exclusive. Um, since he's doing four issues over two months, can you kind of tell us how early of a start he got on this and how, how far ahead is he on this since they're going to be coming out pretty fast this uh, this winter? I mean, Aaron's been working on this for, oh, geez, I think it's March, April, something like that, I believe. Uh, yeah, something like that. And he's he's moving along at a at a really good clip. He's his work is just incredible. Um, I you I'm telling you, the, 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 this this book will push him so high in the stratosphere. I, I, people are not, are literally not ready for it. And that goes with and like we got Maury Hollowell coloring him on this book as well. Uh, if you've read the original Civil War series, you know Maury's work really well. So we wanted to make sure we put you know our biggest talent on this book. And so you know it's. Aaron is quickly becoming that, and Maury and the colors is, is part of that as well. Um, so yeah, with that, I think we're we're uh, we're just about out of time. But uh, you know, I want to Charles, Jeff, I want to thank you guys very much for for taking time out of your day, and and Axel, and Nick as well. So uh, you know what what everybody said, uh, you know, if Death of X is the is the first battle in the in the coming war that you'll see in in, uh, in Humans versus X Men. And uh, you guys can check out uh, Death of X number one, which will be out on October the 5th. Um, first two issues should be out in October, and then the second two in November, and it will lead us right into December's Inhumans vs. X-Men. Um, so, Charles, Jeff, thank you guys again. And uh, everybody who, you know, participated today, thank you guys very much for taking the time to, to chat with us. And uh, I hope you guys check out the book on October 5th. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys. Take care. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. The leader has disconnected. There you go. Talented creators uh, tackling the X-Men and the Inhumans with uh, Death of X. Uh, very interesting conversation. Uh, I hope you enjoyed it. And uh, now we will transition to another Marvel press conference. This one with uh, Mark Wade, Tom Brevoort, uh, talking about the new team champions and uh, what their uh, makeup will be like and their purpose for being a team. Uh, really interesting stuff from uh, Mark Wade and Tom Brevard. Always love to hear Mark go on about characters. It's you know a good chance to look inside his mind and what he thinks about certain things. And he's uh, you know playing with uh, uh, an interesting millennial crowd in Archie right now. Of course, he's had his other runs on 
uh, teams like the Legion of Superheroes, and I even mention that when I get to ask a few questions. Um, but it's always good to hear what Mark thinks of uh, superheroes and superhero teams, and I think uh, you get a good look at his perspective on this new team, the champions, Mark Wade, Tom Brevoort, and uh, the uh, press asking Marvel these questions in another press telephone conference here on Word Balloon. You know, we're here to talk about champions number one. Um, the, uh, a new team hitting the streets uh, of the Marvel Universe come October, post-Civil War II. Um, and uh, they are out to change the world. So, you know, it's a brand new series from Mark uh, and artist Humberto Ramos, who you may know from working on some other teen superheroes that we can't mention here. Um, but Like the X-Men. <laughs> <laughs> Making up the uh, the core of this team, you're going to see Miss Marvel, Miles Morales, and Nova splinter off from their card-carrying Avengers status post-Civil War II. And uh, making up the rest of his team, we're going to have a couple of interesting wild cards thrown into the mix. So that's uh, Amadeus Cho, the totally awesome Hulk, um, young Cyclops, who Mark tells me is a personal favorite of his, um, and and Viv Vision, who will be making her first appearance outside of the uh, spectacular Tom King, Gabriel Walta, Jordi Belair series. Um, so they're a new team. They're a completely different kind of team, um, and we're going to be talking about them a little bit today. So today I've got with me Mark Wade, obviously you know, and uh, and Tom Brevoort, um, who will be editing the series. Um, so let's just jump right into it, guys. Um, you know, I, I, I stated just now, and we've stated um, throughout the course of promoting this book that uh, these kids are not Avengers, um, both in name and in mission statement. Um, we're very fortunate to uh, be able to call them champions. Um, so how, how does the, this, you know, how does their dynamic change uh, as opposed to, you know, being normal Avengers or being your average sort of superhero team? Well, I'll take that. I think that in the aftermath of Civil War II, which, again, not giving anything away, I think that the, the idea that the younger Avengers had, that their older counterparts were, uh, you know, always, always smarter and wiser and better leaders and, you know, just, you know, sort of, you know, didn't have feet of clay, I think, that, uh, I think that's all kind of gone away for these kids. I think that their, their reaction to some of the decisions and some of the choices made during Civil War II has driven them towards uh, sort of seeking their own path rather than necessarily following the paths of those ahead of them who have let them down quite a bit. Um, Tom, anything to add to that? Um, well, I think that's I think that's sort of it uh, in a in a nutshell. Um, you know, these are these are characters that are going to be looking uh, to find their own way and to sort of uh, uh, reclaim and redefine. Uh, in sort of a classic sense, uh, what being a superhero means or should mean as they understand it. Um, rather than having uh, seen the, the previous generation as these sort of uh, you know, icons who came before them, now they've, they've you know, dealt with and interacted with them on a one-to-one basis and really learned that they're not really any better or worse than anybody else. And so if anybody is going to be the, the kind of uh, uh, role models and shining beacons that they thought those characters were, it's kind of down to them to do that. Now, just as, as an interesting follow-up to that, something just dawned on me. Um, 
every one of those these characters to a certain extent is a, is a legacy hero. Is that sort of something sure. that you guys planned when when uh, sort of hammering out this mission statement? Um, I think it it's certain not so much in terms of the it, the mission statement didn't come from the cast. The cast, if anything, came you know coming out of the the mission statement. Some of that is just that we're at a point in the development of the Marvel Universe where we have a whole bunch of younger characters and legacy characters uh, and characters we haven't seen uh, interact and, and uh, you know, be together in a meaningful way, but who carry some of the weight of the biggest icons of the Marvel Universe. Uh, so, you know, in coming out of Civil War and in hitting on the, the idea for this uh, Champions team, uh, you know, these were all characters that uh, you know, we thought would, uh, would fit well and, and would impact nicely. Uh, it, it's also not to say that these are necessarily the only characters uh, that will be in the book or that any of these characters necessarily will be in the book forever. Um, you know, this is, this is our starting point, but you know, maybe not to the extent of the Avengers who change rosters you know, on a fairly consistent basis, but I'd imagine that as things go along, uh, we have the potential for for uh, you know roster shifts and shakeups as new people come in and as old people fall out for one reason or another um, because it's I think it's easier to uh, uh, you know uh, say you want to stand for and represent a certain thing and it's a much harder thing uh, as these kids will find out through the course of their adventures uh, to actually do that when. Uh, when faced with, uh, you know, actual, you know, on the battlefield sorts of life or death decisions. So you you touched on um, post Civil War II a little bit. So I, I want to touch on that a little bit more as much as we can because we still got a bunch of issues left to go. Um, but you know, there's a new, a new team out there in the world who sort of are rejecting the ideals of of the the older uh, Avengers in in you know after Civil War II. So how how are the the older teams and the sort of established Avengers going to see them. And I'd especially love to hear from you, Mark, considering you're, you're also going to be writing Avengers come, come October or come November, excuse me. Right. I think it's, I, I honestly think the easy answer to that would be, well, they're looking at these kids as, oh, you kids, you'll learn. But that's not really the case. I think that all of the heroes in the Marvel Universe, regardless of where they came down during Civil War, are re-examining what they thought, what they felt, how they act, how they behave, you know, what their responsibilities are. And so I think to a large extent that I'd like to play off as an Avengers. It's less a sense of, uh, of sort of condescending, oh, those kids, you know, when will they learn? And more like, well, they're worth keeping an eye on because they are the future. And that, I mean, it very much plays into... The, the you know the vision and vid vision connection obviously that is that is the tightest connection among all the the heroes and we will you know we'll be spending some time and some and some uh, space on that uh, but it's a really long answer to your question I guess the short answer is uh, the Avengers are both sort of curious and proud. Uh, more so than just skeptical, although there is some skepticism there as well. And, and Tom, you know, we've seen a little bit of Miles, Sam, and Nova's, um, you know, response to Civil War II in the main book. So when, coming out of this, how, how do you see that they're, them fitting into this new team and, and their, the team's place in the post-Civil War II Marvel Universe? Well, I don't know that I could talk too much about, you know, place in the post 
Civil War universe because we're not quite sure. there yet. Um, you know, this is, you know, this isn't something that was brought to any of them. This is something that was started and instigated by them. Um, so they're very much at the at the forefront and the core of this idea and this movement, and it certainly grows out of uh, the things that they that they saw and experienced during Civil War II. Um, so it's not to say that that uh, you know any of them is necessarily the leader per se, but in terms of gathering this bunch of of, of heroes uh, and and kind of figuring out and going forth with this sort of a mission statement, this sort of of uh, reclamation of what heroism, uh, you know, and particularly, you know, costumed vigilanteism, superheroing, uh, means in the Marvel Universe. It's a, it's a self-motivated mission. So this isn't somebody coming and saying, hey, kid, you're, you're an Avenger now. You're good enough to be in the A-team. This is them sort of perceiving uh, a need and having a desire for change and wanting to be the change that they want to see in the world. Uh, you know, you, you mentioned um, you mentioned the team not really um, having an uh, out-and-out leader. We saw in the preview we released Ms. Marvel sort of being the first to, to splinter off. Um, is there going to be sort of a, a leadership struggle at some point? You know, some of these some of the characters on the team uh, in this case have never been on a team. Some have led teams in Cyclops' case. Others are more solo heroes. Um, are we going to see some sort of, you know, teen angst uh, arguing over who's in charge kind of a thing? Oh, I would think that there's at least three people on this team who would automatically assume they are the leader. They, you know, Ms. Marvel would assume she's the leader because it's her idea. Uh, Amadeus Cho would assume he's the leader because he's the smartest. Cyclops would assume he's the leader because he has the most experience by far in leading other teams. Uh, so uh, while I certainly don't want to make the book about that, uh, it certainly will play in and, and uh, less about, you know, I'm, I don't anticipate a bunch of formal debates about it within the team and a lot of gavel banging and a lot of, uh, you know, Robert's Rules of Orders debate about it. I just envision that there's going to be some hurt feelings here and there, but not to the point where anybody walks away petulantly necessarily, although if anybody were, it would be Amadeus. <laughs> okay, so... Um, I wanted to ask you guys both about about the first arc. Um, I remember when we first announced the series, you guys said that if they were fighting the Circus of Crime by issue four, you guys had failed your job. Um, right. So you know, Circus of Crime in issue five. Yeah, issue five. five. Um, <laughs> yeah. Two. Uh, you know, we we made a big a big to do about about change the world and and their mission statement. So what can you say, if at all, about sort of what what their opening mission is going to be? how they're going to go about doing that, um, and what kind of threats they'll be up against. I think the opening... Well, what were... okay, go ahead. Go, Mark, go ahead. No, no, no. Go, 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 go. Go. Now, I, I think the opening, uh, and I, I, I look at it less as an arc and more as a, as a trade paperback, because in a very real way, issue one is issue one. Mm. Like it's, it's, it's a single, self-contained. It doesn't end particularly with a cliffhanger, although there is a springboard into the next issue. Um, you know, but the, the first trade paperback's worth of material, the first six or so, is really about them figuring out what it is they're doing and should be doing and how to do it, uh, and also about how the idea of uh, being champions and putting forward this, uh, you know, this, this sort of a new take on 
uh, you know, the classic question of what defines a superhero, uh, you know, takes on a life of its own, becomes a sort of, uh, uh, you know, a grassroots uh, meme that goes out, you know, beyond just the superhero community and out to the wider community uh, and actually becomes something that they very quickly lose control of. Um, so, so uh, uh, you know, it's less about we have a great villain to pull out an issue for. It's not the circus of crime. It's not the circus of crime, you know, so much as it is them uh, trying to figure out how to do this thing that they're trying to do and what the best way to go about it is uh, and, and even what sorts of things uh, you know, they, they, they can, uh, you know, intercede in and, and make a difference in. You know, they're going to have uh, really big eyes, uh, and the question is uh, whether they've got the, the stomach uh, to, to, uh, to chow down on, you know, what the eyes see and, and want to do. Uh, and so that's really what the first arc is, uh, is about. It's sort of defining what is this team? What's it all about? What do they do? How are they different from the Avengers or the Humans or the X-Men or, or you know, whomever? Um, you know, and uh, how, how, how are they different even in how they, they operate, how they go about things? Um, so, again, I, it's less about there's, a, there's this specific villain and they're going to they're gonna fight him. Mark, anything else to add? That sums up. No, that sums it up pretty nicely. I mean, again, we will see villains as we go. We will see, you know, some traditional sort of Marvel challenges down the road. But right off the bat, it is a, a question of, you know, what are they doing? They're not out to fight crime, although if, certainly if they saw a bank robbery going on and, people, you know, mass robbers were walking out with big sacks with dollar bill signs painted on them, they would stop it. But they're not out to fight crime. They're out to deal with kind of street-level stuff that the Avengers and the new Avengers and the, you know, some of the other big teams don't deal with on a regular basis. Um, I say street crime, I don't, I, when I say street-level, I don't mean necessarily muggings. I just mean in terms of how do you make the world a better place? What if you're, you know, it's an international team. It will be, an, or at least their team, the team will be international in scope. So if you've got a bunch of kids, for instance, who build an app uh, to help out drought victims in India, uh, and someone's out to stop that for whatever reason. Well, that's not much to punch there. There's not a supervillain there as much as there is, uh, you know, some sort of corporate injustice going on in there, or global injustice. Um, if you're dealing with, you know, with arms races, if you're dealing with international conflicts, that especially those that involve young people. Um, how do you how do you do that in a way that is effective without uh, without suggesting that there is some simple answer to it? Like, oh, if only superheroes showed up, all the world's problems would be solved. And so that's that's a lot more what we're into is the idea that the champions is less a team of superheroes and more of a movement that these heroes are the symbol of. That's great. Um... You know, before we before we open it up to to press on the call, I wanted to talk to you guys about. Uh, I wanted to hear from you guys both about Humberto. Um, you know, Mark, uh, I mentioned before. You know, you've had you've had you know long runs with him in the past on on teen teenage superheroes, and uh, I know you guys reunited last year for an issue of Shield. But what is it sort of like reuniting with him on a on a bit of a longer project? 
Oh, it's great. I mean, it's, the, the energy is there on every single page. Every single panel has characters acting. I mean, acting, not just standing there because they've got lines to say. Uh, and they're interacting with each other. And there's a, there's a level of, of energy that Umberto brings to these characters that is unlike anything anybody else out there is doing. Uh, he's, he's, you know, you ask, you ask a lot of guys, you ask a lot of younger artists who their influences are, and Umberto's on that list every time. Uh, and I couldn't be happier to be reunited with him. Now, Tom, as an editor, what do you uh, what do you see him him bring into the project? Well, uh, uh, you know, among other things, right now, and you know, hopefully people can tell this from the four pages that we uh, that we previewed. Um, but at least to me, it certainly seems like Humberto is uh, really energized and and really enthusiastic about the work he's doing on this book. Uh, you know, he, he's definitely enjoying playing with these characters. They feel like they're very much in his wheelhouse. Uh, he certainly enjoys drawing Spider-Man in any iteration, so uh, <laughs> not Peter, who he's done a lot of. Uh, he loves doing doing Spidey stuff. Um, his his work has always been excellent. It's always got a lot of bounce and a lot of, for lack of a term, youthfulness. That's kind of appropriate to the book, uh, and is is kind of nice because he can do, you know, lighter, more more fun stuff. But he can also do stuff that's a little darker and more creepy, and people tend to lose sight of that. Uh, and Champions is going to be a book where, where you kind of need to be able to push both buttons or put both pedals. Uh, and, in, again, in the course of the first issue, uh, Humberto uh, really uh, showed that he can do that. On top of which, he's among the most reliable artists in the field right now. Um, so, so uh, counts for a lot. Well, it, it counts for for an awful lot, uh, and he's not shy about his uh, work ethic. Um, you know, if 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 he's got to put in late hours and long weeks to get the job done, he is always right there and and willing to go the extra yard. Um, and uh, uh, you know, that's a that's a that's an excellent thing to have just in the arsenal in terms of being able to keep consistency for a longer uh, run. Uh, before you have to bring in somebody else or another artist to do an arc or whatever. Uh, and uh, a Harvey Award winner as of uh, this weekend. Oh, yeah. As so, of this weekend, yes. So, so with that, uh, I'll, uh, I'll open it up to, to press, uh, and we'll, we'll go around. Uh, we got time to probably go around twice. Um, so let's start with um, George Newsarama. Hey, guys. Uh, so right at the top of the call, Chris, uh, you mentioned that these are not the Avengers. They're very specifically the champions, and that's definitely a choice that they make. Why did they decide to use the name the champions? Um, and, and was there ever a thought to making them the young Avengers or something like that? Uh, I don't know if there was ever a thought of making them the young Avengers. I think that the the name champion sort of springs up purely organically from from the way the team assembles at the end. It's not sitting there with a giant list of names trying to come up with the right, the right one. It's one that sort of is blurted out by Kamala and then ends up being adopted by social media almost immediately. Yeah, also, in a, in a larger sense, uh, as, as, you know, all of these characters are kind of looking to, you know, forge their own footprint uh, and be their own uh, people, um, they're they're not likely to pick up the the name of of the past generation, 
with whom they're trying to create a certain degree of distance. Um, so them being the young Avengers or the young whomever uh, didn't really, it was never really a consideration. You know, these guys aren't the new, new warriors, and they're not the young Avengers. They're the champions. Unfortunately, we can call them the champions uh, because somewhere we have a list of like 40 really bad names that they could have been <laughs> if we were not able to, to, to clean that situation up um, such that we could use it. But champions, it, it feels like the right sort of, of, of name. Like it's, it's a very classic superhero-y uh, uh, sort of moniker for a team. You hear it and you get a sense as to who and what these characters are about without even knowing anything else about them. Uh, so it, I think it's very fitting to the, the group yeah, and, uh, you know, again, the proof will be in the, the comic when it comes out, but uh, it was fortuitous that we were able to uh, reacquire its use for this. Uh, Brett, CBR. Yes, hello. Um, I was wondering uh, how specifically politically aware will the book be? Will you be citing things that we see happening in our own headlines, or will it be more evergreen-type stuff? I think we can thread the needle. I think that I think that the danger of doing stuff that is directly ripped from headlines uh, exactly dates pretty quickly. Uh, and I think, but that said, I think this. I think I think Tom and I are pretty much on the same page about this. What superhero comics do really well is take the the world outside your window, the real things that are going on and make allegories out of them, sort of superhero them up, if you will, sort of recast them in superhero terms, but still dealing with the same emotions, the same frustrations, the same injustices that we're dealing with on a regular basis. You know, I, I, I don't know that you would do a, a Marvel story on Ferguson, for instance, because that gives the impression that the people there who are really on the ground, the people, the flesh and blood people who are really there on the ground dealing with something like that, that somehow trivializes what they're accomplishing. At the same time, you can take a situation like that and you can make an allegory out of it and you can have our characters come down on one side or the other or in many cases, you know, on both sides, depending upon where they, you know, where their mindset is and, and deal with the bigger questions. I would sooner run that direction than run toward the circus of crime or the juggernaut, if you will. Tom, anything to add? No, I think you're you're uh, I think you're spot on there. Uh, we do agree on that. Um, so you know, while while the things the champions are are getting involved with, uh, you know, won't be alien to the to the headlines of the day. Um, they'll all be sort of uh, you know couched within a superhero idiom because you know for for all that uh, you know we're trying to tell meaningful stories to the readership of today. This isn't a pandemic. It's a superhero action adventure comic book, and uh, you know we're we're going to deliver a, a a a good helping of that on top of the social relevancy that may be underneath it. So everything will kind yeah. of be couched in a in a superhero allegory. But but yeah, but still very much part of the, very much the book's DNA. I mean, that is where I start my stories in is not thinking about what villain do they have to fight this month or or who in the circus of crime can we put forth but rather looking at the headlines going over that morning's headlines about what's happening in the world in terms of in ter- you know in terms of racial issues in terms of you know LGBTQ problems in, ter- in terms of 
Uh, who, who does Mark want to yell, yell at on social media? <laughs> That's right, the starting exactly. point for most stories. That's right. Who do I want angry at me this month? That's what I want to put in my story. Exactly. Yeah. Man, the circuits of crime are taking a beating today. <laughs> I know. I uh, want to. I, I, someday, by the way, I'm going to take it. I'm going to. I'm going to finally get my chance to recast them as Cirque du Crime, which is going to be my <laughs> my real goal. And then you'll. And you, then then we'll see who's laughing. Then we'll see. <laughs> hey guys. Um, Having hey. having a Cyclops as part of the team and giving the fact that he comes originally from a different generation of younger people. I hate millennials, but I'll use it for shorthand. Um, would his point of view be in conflict with the other uh, modern champions? I think so. I think he'd probably be a little bit more uh, more tending to lean toward authority uh, or authority figure. I think he'd be a little more a little less skeptical of authority. Not that, you know, not that this Cyclops came from 1963 anymore, but, it, you know, it, it, but still he did come from some years past. Mm-hmm. Um, but, not, but not radically. I mean, I think, I, I think that's a very good question. And, in fact, until you asked it, I will freely admit I hadn't given it as much thought as I'm going to give it now. So thank you, John. Cool. <laughs> yeah, I, I, think, I think, too, uh, it's worth understanding that, again, without spoiling stuff that will be in the actual book, um, you know, to 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 young Cyclops, what this what this group represents is a real chance to break with his past or break really with his future. That having right. come present and having seen the choices that he made over the course of his life and what became of his older self and what his older self uh, turned into, which was kind of a, a shocking thing. In that, in that very sort of quintessential classic way that every teenage kid goes, I don't want to turn into my parents. Uh, you know, for Cyclops, that's a lot more personal. That's, I don't want to turn into myself. Uh, and so, uh, you know, uh, when he becomes aware of this, uh, this, this movement, this drive uh, towards the champions, there's something in it that speaks, you know, very dramatically and very primally to him. Uh, and, and he's drawn to it. Uh, as much uh, because it appeals to him and as much because it's a movement away from, you know, what his sort of foretold destiny was, that if he's, if he's not careful and he makes the wrong move or all the same moves that he made in the past, he's going to turn into uh, that awful guy that he doesn't like uh, and that everybody is constantly, like, seeing him and pointing to and going, you're... You're that guy who did all that awful stuff. Um, it's a it's a tough thing for him to be under, uh, and the champions sort of uh, offer him uh, a little bit of a, of a remedy or a, a different uh, direction in his own personal life, apart from being the the uh, the sort of uh, uh, you know first first among equals among the mutant community and the X Men. Cool. Uh, Comicbook.com. Um, yeah, I was wondering what kind of if if the champion's name goes kind of viral like you uh, said that it will. What kind of reaction will that get from some of the members of the original champions team uh, if they acknowledge it at all? Um, I'm sure That's we get, I'm sure we may, we may get there eventually at some point. It's certainly not going to be something that we're we're jumping towards very quickly. Um, if only because nobody in a Marvel comic has really called them the champions in a long time for a lot of reasons. 
Um, and I'm not for all that we're doing a lot of, uh, you know, Champions variant covers and things that, that evoke uh, the, the, you know, the sort of classic Marvel history of the name. Uh, to me, this is, a, this is a new book. It's a, a new group with a, a new mission statement. Uh, and so, uh, you know, maybe the angel would show up and go, hey, you know, I got a trademark on that, kids. You really got to pay me a royalty. <laughs> Chances, chances are, though, he's going to be in the middle of whatever Cullen Bunn X-Men stuff is going on and, and not paying that much attention. Um, I'm sure at some point we'll, we'll address it because we'll run into one or another of those characters, uh, and it'll depend on what the interaction is, you know, how, uh, how a Hercules or how a Black Widow or how a Johnny Blaze might, might react to this. But it's not like any of them have used the name since... 1977 or whatever passes for that these days. So I think any claim that they they may have had uh, is is expired at this point. Uh, Jesse, IGN. So I think of all the team, uh, Vision is the most interesting addition for me. I'm curious what the appeal is with her, what you think she brings to the team dynamic, and uh, if you're intimidated at all taking over her after what Tom's been doing on the Vision comics. Yeah, certainly. I mean, Tom is a great writer, and that's been my favorite Marvel comic for the last 11 months. Uh, it's, it is intimidating, but we've been working very closely with him to make sure that the voice is consistent, to make sure the character is consistent. And he's been very generous with uh, you know, allowing his time to talk about it and, and without sort of laying any claim to the character that is proprietary. I think that in terms of the team itself, I think she's just an interesting an interesting get because she's the last one we, I think she's the last one we decided on. And I think that she was the last one that would have occurred to us. But I like the idea of, of a character who has so little written about her at this point that it gives us a chance to really help add to who she is and what she is. And, and with Tom's you know, blessing gives us a chance to really define her in her own terms. George Nuzarama. And, and scene. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, uh, <laughs> so, aside from the circus of crime, is there any specific threat that you can tease us with that's coming up? Um, I know you said you mentioned some things like arms dealers and international conflicts. Is there a, what's the mission that kicks off this whole this whole thing? Um. Um, I, I mean, there is, you know, there's a mission in issue one that is more about human trafficking than anything else, but with a very perverse twist to it. Uh, I don't know that, I don't know how much more we want to give away than that at this point. Yeah, I, I think, uh, I think there's not much more we can say at this point in terms of, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a fair question for something like this, but I don't know that there's much more we can say at this point, uh. Uh, until the until the book actually uh, comes out. Sorry, uh, Brett CBR. Uh, yeah, this is a book uh, starring all teams, and so far, Mark's work at Marvel. You know, you've written Daredevil, you've written Indestructible Hulk, uh, and now you you kind of add half adult, half teams with Avengers. Now you're all teams. Does that worry uh, you at all? Are you how are you keeping up to date? Or nice. <laughs> I, well, you're, you're, you're missing my launch from 20, 2017, Baby Avengers. You're overlooking that as well. <laughs> um, I, 
Look, I there's something about writing young characters that just appeals to me. I think that some of it is because I have read 10,000 comic books, and while I have enjoyed almost all of them, uh, writing younger characters feels like there's a little more flex, a little more give, a little less, a little more opportunity to tell stories that I haven't read before. Uh, that's part of it. I also just I, dealing with younger characters like this and putting them in situations that are not are they're not used to. I get to I get to really play around with the first time that this character meets that character or this character encounters this sort of situation. And those, those are a lot of fun to write, those kind of situations. Your Marvel career has reverse Benjamin Button disease. Exactly. <laughs> yes. John, word balloon. Mark, do you think, uh, well, we know that millennials, and forgive, again, forgive the shorthand, but younger people today yeah. have, a, have a louder voice in today's society, does it make writing these kind of superhero team comics different than the social relevance of the Teen Titans? Um, certainly your Legion of Superhero run was different because it was a future trying to emulate a, a past way of doing things. But, you know, do those voices today, I mean, is that part of your process in terms of writing this kind of young people's team? Yeah, you know, I'd be lying if I said it wasn't, because here's the thing. This, the beauty of social media, as much as it is a double-edged sword, the beauty of social media is it gives a voice to people who, for the longest time, have been without a voice. Um, and I listen to that, and I want to hear that, and I think it's important for me as a writer and as a person to listen to what all that uh, what all that is about. It doesn't mean I have to listen to everything. It doesn't mean that everybody's right. It doesn't mean that everybody out there who is crusading for this cause or that cause always has a point of view that is worth listening to, but by and large, they do. Uh, and by and large, they are making me think about things that, you know, as, an, as a white male comics creator, I'm not always thinking about. And uh, that's a very important part of this book because, again, I don't want these to be the, you know, the problems of white kids in America. That's you know, there's a lot of, you know, there's been a lot of comic books written about that. I'd rather, I'd rather write about stuff that is, as you say, a little more, you know, a little more reflective of what we're hearing and and seeing younger people feel as as we enter the 21st century full bore. Was that part of the origin of the uh, the team itself, Tom? Sorry, a follow up. <laughs> um, you blew my follow up line, which is fine. Uh, Sorry. Uh, no, that, that, that's fine. That's fine. <laughs> All I had was something stupid to say, as, as usual. Um, I think it was, you know, the origin of the team really came from, again, even less about the, the, the world at, at large and the fact that there is this new voice among uh, young people, so much as these characters had become such a strong part of the Marvel Universe in, in itself. Um, you know, we only brought them into Avengers like a, a year ago, mm-hmm. and yet they and the other characters that have been around, uh, you know, seem like, uh, you know, there was really something something uh, going on there, something to them um, that, uh, you know, made them uh, deserve to be a thing unto themselves and not just uh, sort of an adjunct or an appendage onto the existing uh, characters. 
So uh, I don't know that I was specifically motivated by the fact that there's now you know a, a greater a greater ease with which uh, uh, you know people of that generation uh, you know make their voices heard. Although, like anybody, I hear a certain amount of that, so it's it's somewhere in my consciousness. Um, so much as it was, uh, I think that these were all characters that people you know dug and and were uh, responsive towards. And uh, there was an opportunity to do more and bigger with them. I should also point out that, you know, these characters are now such a big part of the Marvel Universe, part and parcel, because young people have responded to them so well. Right. So it's interesting sure. to see that come full circle and, and see us sort of promoting promoting it in a way direct direct to them. Mm-hmm. Um, Jamie, com. Yeah, I guess following up from that last question, uh, when you started writing all new, all different Avengers, did you always have an eye towards spinning these younger characters off into an independent unit, or is that a direct result of the response from fans uh, during the run of all new Avengers? It's a combination of two things. It's, it is it is less about any any grand plan I had. It is more a combination of the reception that those three have enjoyed as team members, coupled with the fallout of Civil War. And, and again, the, the natural outgrowth of, of why they are leaving the Avengers because of the event, the events of Civil War. Yeah, certainly, certainly when we started all new, all different Avengers, we didn't know we were going to be here a year and a half later. Um, this wasn't like the, the plan. We'll put them in Avengers for a year and a half, and then we'll spin them out. Uh, we put them into Avengers because we thought that they would be, uh, you know, a, a, a good component of a new, more modern more Marvel Now-y Avengers team. Uh, and they were, and so much so that maybe there's more to do with them and more specific and more distinct to do with them where their voices are in the lead and not either part of the chorus or really almost sort of part of the backbench where it's really you know, Captain America or Iron Man or even Thor who's kind of at the forefront of, of pushing forward what the mission is and what the goal is. And they're there to take part in it like any Avenger, but not really to be driving the situation, um, that there's an opportunity we, we found, particularly with the schism in Civil War and the aftermath of that, you know, again, for them to really become their own thing uh, and stand on their own two feet and, and to, you know, sort of come out from being Avengers. But, uh, you know, if you if you'd come to me 18 months ago and said, oh, yeah, we're going to put them in the book for a year and a half and then we're going to take them back out, I, I'd have been fighting that tooth and nail. I'd either have been going, well, why am I putting them in the book to begin with? We're just going to take them out again. Uh, or the heck you're going to take them out. Uh, we're, you know, we're putting them in. We're going to keep them in. Fortunately, I was part of the conversations that got us here, so I didn't really have to be convinced. I was one of the people doing the convincing. So, uh, you know, that was, that, was, that was nice for a change. Jesse, IGN. So you already talked about what Cyclops brings to the team, uh, but I'm curious, with so many other young X-Men characters out there and so many characters that could have filled that role, uh, were there any others that you considered in place of Cyclops, or was he always your first pick? He was my first pick, man. I love Cyclops. I've loved Cyclops ever since I started reading X-Men comics back in 1966. Uh, And part of the reason I love him is for the same reason that everybody has their, their favorite indie garage band that they love that nobody else has ever heard of, and you have to convince them of the, the fact that people have to convince your friends they're good. Uh, I just, 
I think he's such an underdog that I'm drawn to that, and I want to make people like Cyclops as much as I do. So he was he was my very first pick. There were that said, you're going to see you know in the, just in the course of the first issue, you're going to see a pretty a pretty good survey of some of the other young uh, characters throughout the Marvel universe who could very easily drift in and out of the champions in that for just in that first issue. But yeah, Cyclops forever, man. That's, yeah, was, that's, was, that's was, my was... motor. That was that was definitely uh, Mark's first pick and almost only pick, um, and and it's you know it's funny because I'm a huge Cyclops fan. Cyclops is my favorite X Man as well. We're the only two guys uh, who feel that way apparently. Uh, but um, you know, uh, Mark suggested it at the first uh, retreat where we were talking about this, and I thought to myself, Oh no, that, that's a bad idea. We shouldn't do that. <laughs> that's that's really going to screw things up uh, in a, in a bunch of different ways. Uh, and so it took me a little while to, you know, come to grips with it in my own head. Uh, and I'm very glad that we ended up here because he's a great character to have in the book. Uh, and I think uh, I think Mark will do uh, wonders for people who have not liked Cyclops over the, the course of the last X number of years in making you understand what it is about that character that we find so appealing. Uh, and just putting him in a situation that's completely different from any situation you've really seen him in before, that for all of his entire 50-plus year history, uh, really Cyclops has been, for lack of a better term, the Captain America of the X-Men. That while other characters have, you know, kind of gone outside of the world of X-Books and you know, may have been on other teams or been in situations that were not X-centric or mutant-centric, Cyclops was always sort of the poster child for Xavier's dream and a particular a flavor of that dream, you know, even though that, that flavor changed over the course of time. Uh, and so just, again, just putting him in a different situation with different people uh, and, and with this different outlook suddenly, uh, you know, lets you open up a whole new vistas of things uh, that, that uh, you know, potentially uh, could be of interest with this character. Uh, so, yeah, we didn't really specifically think of other X-Men per se. We thought of a bunch of, about a bunch of other characters. Um, but but like Cyclops was the first guy on the on the bus. Uh, yeah, Mark could not have wanted him more for this. Uh. Yeah. All right, we got time for maybe one or two more. Um, George Newsarama. Speaking of specific members of the team, Amadeus Cho obviously gone through some pretty traumatic stuff recently with the death of Bruce Banner. Is that going to be kind of a driving force in his role on this team? Is he going to have an outlook that's kind of based on, you know, what's, what's happened to him recently? And will that set him at odds with any of the other team members? It'll certainly inform. Go ahead. Actually, yeah, Tom, take this one, please. <laughs> okay. Um, you know, I think it's certainly something that, that's obviously, uh, uh, you know, at the, at the front of his, of his uh, mind. But going back to his very first appearance, uh, Amadeus has fairly consistently had uh, a distrust of authority, uh, a, a sense of, of uh, you know, his own sort of uh, self-importance and self-directiveness, um, and a desire to, to help the underdog and to be the underdog. It's one of the reasons why, uh, you know, he bonded so well with the Hulk and, you know, sort of chose the Hulk as his own personal hero. Uh, and and why he got along so well with Hercules for all those months. Um, you know, there's a line in uh, uh, one of the upcoming issues of Totally Awesome Hulk that uh, Greg Pak wrote, uh, where and and to me this kind of crystallized the character in my head, 
where somebody tells Cho that, you know, Banner's Hulk was motivated and driven by anger, uh, but Cho's Hulk is driven by pride. Uh, and I think that that's kind of the summation of this, this character. He knows he's one of the smartest people in the world. Uh, you know, he believes in his own judgment uh, and his own, uh, you know, his own sort of destiny, although that's kind of a grandiose word for it. Uh, and now he's actually got the physical power to back that up. Uh, and the question really is, at this point, what, you know, having all of that, what do you choose to do with it? Uh, it's one thing to say the guys that, that have this power and have had it in the past haven't done well with it, or you could do better, but now you've got to walk the walk and not just talk the talk. And, uh, you know, has he really thought this stuff through as far as he could? Um, certainly, the fact that, that uh, Bruce was killed is a good motivator to uh, unite him with the other kids who are feeling uh, a little bit let down by their, uh, their role models and, and the, the characters, you know, who have sort of they, they've based their superhero persona on. Uh, but I don't know that he's going to ha- be carrying such specific anger uh, about it, uh, at least, you know, outside of particular incidents. That where it's going to be a huge issue for anybody else. Uh, all right, we got time for one more. Um, Brett, uh, CBR, take us home. Okay, um, you talked so much about how this is going to be kind of a new type of team. It's more of a movement than a team. So I'm wondering, are we going to still have, like, the great superhero tropes of, like, you know, a headquarters, a jet, like, all that stuff? Or is the structure of this book really drastically different? That is a great question, and it gives us a chance to talk about something we haven't talked about yet, which is that a big part of what these kids are going to be doing is really putting all those tropes under the microscope and and sort of if they have to reinvent the wheel, they'll reinvent the wheel. But and if, if there's stuff that makes sense that has happened in the past, they'll keep going that way. But I'm not just talking about things like how much sense does it make to keep a secret identity in the 21st century or how one goes about keeping a secret identity or – where do, do we need a headquarters in a world in which we all live pretty virtually anyway? It's also a, it's also a chance to put under the microscope questions like, uh, okay, why don't we kill people as superheroes? I mean, we, I know the reason. You know the reason. We we know the reason because it's always been that way. But um, and and these kids believe very strongly that that killing is wrong. But putting that, but why? You know, it's a fair question to ask if you're dealing with uh, with megalomaniacal despots with blood on their hands. It's a very fair question to ask, you know, what are our responsibilities, uh, you know, in terms of property damage, in terms of collateral damage, in terms of cleanup, in terms of, you know, how do we serve the world more, you know, than just dealing with the immediate danger? How responsible are we for dealing with whatever fallout there may be from our presence? Uh, These are all questions these kids have to answer, and they're going to answer them in their own way, and they're going to put them all like I said, uh, like I said six times, unfortunately, under the microscope, because I can think of a better analogy. Uh, that is a really good place to end, as a matter of fact. Um, but before we go, Tom, do you have anything else to add? I think we, we hit it pretty well. Mark, anything from you? I don't think uh, so. I, I think we've done pretty well. well. Huh? Yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. All right, so, 
<laughs> Thank you to everybody for joining us. Thank you to Mark for, for taking some time uh, to chat with us, and Tom, you as well. Um, Champions Number 1 is going to be in stores uh, on October 5th um, as the uh, sort of official kickoff to Marvel Now. So I hope everybody uh, reads it and checks it out. And uh, thanks a lot, guys. Uh, I'll talk to you all soon. Great. Thanks very much, guys. Thanks, everybody. There we go. Two of the more recent Marvel press conferences uh, brought to you and uh, happy to have you be a fly on the wall as uh, we're all talking to uh, these uh, creators and editors. And uh, I appreciate it, Marvel. Thank you very much. It's It's been incredibly nice that uh, they let uh, the Word Balloon podcast in on these things. And I think it gives you guys kind of an inside locker room view of uh, the creative process in a way that just our straight up interviews don't. Uh, it's interesting to see them put their public face out there and promote these books and then, you know, go around the go around the core and people get to ask them questions. So uh, thank you, Marvel. And uh, thank you for listening to today's Word Balloon, all brought to you by InStock Trades at InStockTrades.com, where let's see how about uh, Thor by uh, Jason Aaron and Russell uh, Dodderman. Uh, hardcover volume one it's been an excellent run 512 pages in this hardcover it's 50 percent off it's 17 dollars and 49 cents you can get the uh, star wars uh, deluxe hardcover volume one with uh, the great Stuart immerman cover this is uh, jason aaron and john cassidy and simone bianchi and Stuart immerman doing some wonderful work uh it is uh 50 off and it's uh, 17 dollars and 49 cents it's honestly, I, we're all Star Wars fans, but isn't it great that there are great Star Wars and Star Trek comic books happening right now? I'm telling you, I just love it. See, I couldn't get away without saying at least something about Star Trek, even when talking about Star Wars. Uh, my buddy Jeff Parker and David Hahn uh, did a very great uh, tie-in of uh, Batman 66 and The Man from Uncle. Two of my favorite 60s things all rolled up in one great story. And Parker is the man to tell the story. And David Hahn gives us beautiful art. Wow, I love this story. 50% off, $9.99. From my buddy Tom King, who just recently won a Harvey Award. And uh, Barnaby Bagenda, The Omega Men, the full collection. Great story, uh, 45% off, $13.74 for that wonderful book. That and a hell of a lot more. Oh, I'm going to give you one more, by the way, because we uh, mentioned with uh, The Death of X, uh, Secret Wars, Jonathan Hickman, Asad Ribic, tremendous uh, event of late. Uh, the full 312 pages of Secret Wars can be yours. 42% off, $20.29 from InStockTrades.com. Check out all the details waiting for you at InStockTrades.com. Thanks for listening to Word Balloon. Thanks for uh, tolerating my uh, even deeper voice because uh, this is uh, me in the morning on uh, Friday putting this out for you. And uh, I hope to see you at Cincy Comic Con. I will be in better voice by uh, the time uh, to do these panels today. I'm uh, talking to Brian Azzarello and Marty Pascoe today. Um, poor Mark Wade, uh, under the weather and won't be able to attend Cincy Comic Con. But I've got a whole slate of uh, panels on Saturday and Sunday. And uh, I'll be slowly doling them out. Uh, throughout, I believe, September and October, in addition to our straight-up interviews. And uh, maybe I'll do it that way uh, to make sure that the panels get out there and uh, you get to hear them and enjoy them on Word Balloon. Thanks very much. Uh, More coming up in uh, the days ahead. Stick around. Listen to the feed. Check me out on Facebook and Twitter and wordballoon.com for updates on new episodes. And uh, as always, thank you for listening. Thank you for your support and attention. Until next time, Word Balloon is a copyright feature of Shaky Productions, copyright 2016.